Scripture reveals to us God's will and purpose and is therefore profitable for our transformation. Paul tells Pastor Timothy about the power of scriptures to transform us into the image of Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Paul is essentially saying the same thing to the Christians in Rome. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you are not being transformed by scripture, then you are being transformed by the culture, which stands in violent opposition to God. Yes, the, the world stands in violent opposition to God and to the word of truth. Back in 2006, uh, Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code, was, was made into a movie. You may have seen it with, uh, with these famous actors, Tom Hanks. And basically, um, this, this book sold over 40 million copies around the world. It's, it, was a huge, it was a blockbuster. And essentially, it's a book that, that is trying to give a corrected history of the church. The problem is, is that there's nothing historical about it. It is absolutely bogus. The problem is, is a number of Christians who who are weak in their understanding of what the Bible is. They're weak in their understanding of the Scripture. They're, they don't know the truth. And so they, in panic, they worry that, in fact, their, their faith is on, on sinking sand. I want you to know today that the Word of God is a solid rock. It's a solid rock in which you can confidently build your life. Now, let me just share with you some of the errors in the book. Uh, he, he talks about the Priory of Sion, and uh, this was supposed to be a, a group that protects the, the secrets of the Holy Grail. Uh, you've seen it in other movies as well, um, most notably uh, Indiana Jones. And apparently, according to Dan Brown, it was Leonardo da Vinci who was a grandmaster of the Priory of Sion in the day. Now, the problem with this is that the Priory of Sion was only established in 1956. <laughs> so if you have any, any understanding of history, you know it's utterly impossible. In fact, it was, it was established by a crackpot Frenchman, and uh, he's been exposed time and again as a fraud. So there's no way on earth that Leonardo da Vinci could ever have been the grandmaster of the Priory of Sion protecting the Holy Grail. Absolute nonsense. Absolute garbage. But it, it gets worse. Dan Brown would have us believe that Mary Magdalene was the wife of Jesus. And furthermore, he would claim that, that the Bible, when it was 
put together, when the canon was, was, was made, was put together, it wasn't until the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, and he would suggest that it was politics that was involved that, that determined what it was that we would see as God's word. Now, one of the books that's mentioned is the Gospel of Thomas. Has anybody ever heard of the Gospel of Thomas? And I've, I've actually had people ask me, is, is there anything to this? Is the Gospel of Thomas, is that something that, did, the, did that get left out? Should that be included in the canon of Scripture? Well, the fact is, people, um, there are many, many, many books, some that, that, are, uh, that claim to be the Gospel. Uh, just to put your mind at ease about whether or not the Gospel of Thomas is, in fact, not an inspired book it's not inspired by God. Let me just read to you a passage, and then you can tell me what you think. So this comes from the Gospel of Thomas, saying 1.14, and it says, Simon Peter said to them, Mary should leave us, for females are not worthy of life. And everybody said, huh? <laughs> Jesus said, see, I'm going to attract her to make her male, so that she too might become a living spirit that resembles you males. For every female that makes itself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. So, folks, this is the absolute garbage. And now you know why the Gospel of Thomas is not included. So, the Bible, as you must realize by now, is constantly under attack by Satan and his servants. And I would say, in this instance, Dan Brown is indeed a servant of Satan. It's demonic, what he is suggesting. But this shouldn't surprise us because Satan, Jesus says, is the father of lies. There are all kinds of lies, and it's, and look at, can I just tell you this? This is something that surfaces on a regular basis. And so Bible scholars, they, get, they have to say, okay, let's drag out the books, and we'll prove to you once again, people, that this is a fraud, that this is nonsense, it's garbage. I'm going to show you, we showed you last week how we came to the place where we recognized what books of the Bible belonged in the Old Testament, and, and I want to show you today how we came up with the books of the New Testament. Have you ever noticed that, that it's the Bible that's always attacked? You never ever hear an attack on the Quran. You ever notice that? Nobody says a word about it, even though it tells you over and over again, kill the infidels. And who are the infidels? You and, and me and anybody that doesn't believe the, the prophet. You see, the Quran is not attacked. Buddha's writings are not attacked. You never see anybody attacking Confucius' writings or Hindu writings or any other supposed sacred scripture. It's only the Bible that's attacked. And you want to know why? Well, we re read about that last week, didn't we, in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul tells Timothy, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. That is why the Bible is constantly under attack. Because it is the source of our salvation and it glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I remind everybody today, the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, it glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would challenge you, the next time you're reading through the Old Testament, start looking for Jesus because he's throughout the Old Testament. That's why Satan's attacking it. 
He, just, he could care less about the Quran because it all serves his purposes. But the word of God stands against Satan and his lies, and it stands against his agenda. And that is, what is Satan's agenda? Satan wants to destroy all of us. Everybody, everybody knows that? He wants to take you all to hell with him. And that is why he is so opposed to it. Now, I want you to see what, what God says uh, through the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, 18 and 19. He says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. And, of course, one of the ways that God makes the truth obvious to us is through his word. I'm going to tell you, never in the history of humanity has the word of God been made more available to humanity than it is today. In fact, one of the things that we read about the end of time is that, that Jesus says that, the, that this word must be published throughout the world, and when that happens, the end will come. And so we're, we're, we're there now. We're just... just there's just maybe a few people groups that don't actually have scripture in their own language. So we're almost there. But Satan knows his, his days are numbered now. He knows that the clock is ticking and it's ticking loud in his ears. He knows his days now are actually numbered. So understand, my friends, that God uses his preachers of the gospel, myself and our pastors in this church, all pastors that believe the truth as established by Scripture, to, to defend the Scripture and to make sure that everybody understands that the Bible is trustworthy. It is inerrant. There's no errors in the Bible. Everybody knows that? that even though the world will tell you that, even Bible college professors now will tell you that there are errors. In fact, Fuller Theological Seminary actually looked at, their, at going to that school to get my master's degree, and, and lo and behold, I discovered that they have taken out of their belief statement this, this uh, conviction that the Bible is inerrant. They don't believe that anymore. Very disturbing. And it's Fuller, Fuller Theological Seminary. I want you to know something that God is angry at all who suppress the truth. In fact, we know that his wrath will be poured out on all who suppress the truth. Now, whoever said that God's love for humanity is unconditional? Have you heard that? That's bogus. God's wrath is, is, is being held back from us because of Jesus Christ. If it were not for Christ, we would be the objects of his wrath, his anger. And I'm going to tell you that all who do not put their faith in God are objects of his wrath. They will indeed experience his wrath, and, and mostly because they suppress the truth. Now, make no doubt about it. God reveals himself to this world. The problem is, is that we don't want to know the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. I, I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to understand this. And people then just make up their mind. So understand that the word of God is the truth. It's, the, it's the, what we would call absolute truth. Why? Look at me. Why is it absolute truth? Because it comes from God. That's why we call it our absolute. It's, it's the standard by which we live our lives. So Paul wants us to understand, and particularly he wants 
uh, Timothy to understand what the Bible is. What is it? And what does it do for us? And why is it a matter of life and death? So let's, let's look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. How many remember memorizing that verse in Sunday school or boys program, girls program? I memorized it in the NIV. Um, I should memorize it in the KJV, in the King James Version. Um, there's a verse that you need to memorize. So last week, we talked, we, we, we addressed this issue. We asked the question, what is the Scripture? Because Paul says that, doesn't he, in verse 15. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures. Well, what does that mean? Well, these are the words that come from God. And then he says it again in verse 16. He says that all Scriptures uh, are inspired or breathed out by God. And, and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. We need to know what the Scripture is. We need to understand what, is, what it means that God breathed it out, that it was inspired by him. So I don't have time today, I don't have time in just the course of 15 minutes to explain to you uh, the, how the whole canon of Scripture came together. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to touch on, on the, the, the salient parts and it's something that you can then go and explore yourself. But let me just say this. Before you go and buy a book on the subject of the creation of the canon of Scripture. By the way, what is a canon? It's a list. Before you go and buy a book, would you check with me first to make sure that the book you're buying is not written by a liberal scholar who, 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 doesn't, reject, who, who doesn't believe the Bible as it has come to us? By the way, can I just say this? Every single liberal church is dying. It's, I, I heard a, a statistic that said that the United Church now, is, they're closing a church a week because the minute you start teaching liberal theology is a day the church dies. And folks, I, I, this is not, I'm not saying this as, as somebody biased against the church. I'm just saying these are the facts, folks. It's just the facts. So let me just remind you that last week we said that the last words uttered in the Old Testament by a prophet was, was Malachi in the year 435 B.C. Now, we said that the only Old Testament books that are considered to be true Scripture have, have had to have been authenticated by the prophets. It was... It was the prophets of God that said, yes, they give it their stamp of approval. Yes, this is of God. And then we see that God speaking through Malachi in the last chapter, in the last verse, says, you're going to, he's essentially saying, you're going to hear from me again when Elijah appears. Elijah's going to come on the scene. Remember that? That's when you'll know that a prophet is among you. And so we read in Matthew chapter 17, verses 12 to 13, that Jesus says that John the Baptist is, in fact, the Elijah that is spoken of by Malachi and by Isaiah. Very important. The heavens have been silent for 460 years. Remember, 435 plus another 30 years. Nothing has been happening. Now, the people of Israel must have thought, what has happened to God? Has he forgotten about us? Does he not love us anymore? Does he not care about us? 
Why is he not speaking to us? So you can imagine the joy and the excitement. A prophet has come. A prophet is among us. People are knocking on each other's door. You got to come and see this. There's a prophet. He's at the Jordan. He's baptizing people, and he's preaching a message of repentance, and people are repenting of their sin. I mean, this was a glorious occasion. For 460 years, nothing, and suddenly the prophet has appeared. And Jesus tells us that John is, in fact, the last prophet and the greatest prophet. Why is he called the greatest prophet? Because it's Jesus, it's, it, because John is announcing the appearance or the arrival of Jesus Christ the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for 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 centuries, the greatest prophet and the last prophet. Now, you've got to keep this in mind. Just remember this. John is the last prophet. John is the fulfillment of the Elijah prophecy in Malachi chapter 4. So, what does John the prophet do when Jesus appears? He says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. John, in Mark, in Mark chapter 1, says that he saw the heavens open and the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus, and then he heard the voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What is John the prophet doing? He's putting his stamp of approval on Jesus the Messiah. Now, not that Jesus the Messiah needs anybody's approval, but in order to maintain the integrity of Scripture, we, we see that Jesus needs the stamp of a prophet, and he has the stamp of approval from the, from the prophet John. What is John doing? He's confirming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He heard the voice. He heard God say, this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Folks, I don't know about you, but this is thrilling stuff. You're just looking at it. Maybe you're, have I lost anybody here? You, you're seeing now the continuity and the integrity of Scripture. It's being maintained. Remember what we read in Amos, that nothing, none of God's secrets are revealed except through a prophet. And now the prophet John is saying, yep. He's the one. So now we see that Jesus is, is the Messiah. He is from God. And we find Jesus in his first sermon. What do we call that sermon? The Sermon on the Mount. This is the first sermon. We, we actually studied it when? Last summer. We started last summer. And Jesus says again and again, he says, you have heard that it was said, or you, you've heard that it was written or said. And then he says, but I say to you, we see that Matthew 5, 21, verse 27, verse 31, verse 33, verse 38, verse 43, or, yeah, 40, yeah, 43. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that what I say to you is on a par or equal to Scripture. And his authority, again, comes from whom? The prophet John. This is the Lamb of God. He's the one that takes away the sin of the world. He is the Son of God. This is the one that has the Spirit of God upon him. 
John the Evangelist, not, not to be confused with John the Baptist. How many know that the Gospel of John was not written by John the Baptist? John the Evangelist begins his Gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word. The Logos. The expression of God. The revelation of God. In the beginning was the Logos. The Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. We are seeing established before us that Jesus Christ, all that he says, all that he does, is in fact the mind, the character, the purpose, and the will of God. Hallelujah. That, my friends, is what the New Testament is all about. The whole New Testament is about Jesus Christ. Now, some people have construed it to be a great book that teaches us how to be moral. How many know that the whole Old Testament period, some 1,500 years, if it proves anything, it proves that human beings are not capable of being moral. We are not capable of being the good people that we think we are. And so the New Testament is not a, just a collection of moral teachings, of teachings on how to be good. It's a, it's a collection of writings that show us that we cannot and do not have the ability to be righteous except through Jesus Christ. We need a Savior we, that's why God sent us a Savior. We needed to be saved because we were perishing in our sin. We needed a Savior. And so watch what Hebrews says, Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. And what does it say? Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors. Through whom? The prophets. That's the Old Testament. Now watch what happens. And now... In these final days, he has spoken to us through whom? His son. Folks, this is the foundation of the New Testament. This is, this is what, what makes the New Testament the God-inspired, the God-breathed scripture. It comes through Jesus Christ and from Jesus Christ. Now watch this, everybody. Look at this. Now we're going to see something a little bit different. Old Testament books of the Bible, of the stamp of approval of the prophets, and if there's no stamp of approval from the prophets, not Scripture. That's why Maccabees is wonderful and has, as historic and as inspiring it is, as it is, it's not Scripture because no stamp of approval from the prophet. But now Jesus, as he begins his ministry, what does he do? He appoints apostles. 12 apostles, to be exact. And this is what he says to them. He says, these words you hear are not my own. So Jesus is speaking the truth, but listen to what he says. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. What's Jesus saying? When I'm gone, apostles, dear apostles, 
The Holy Spirit is going to remind you of everything that I have said, and you will be able to interpret Old Testament scripture. You'll be able to interpret this in light of Jesus Christ. How many know today that the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus? This is why the, pan, the, the current day Pentecostalism and the current day charismatic craziness drives me nuts. Because it's not about Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit and it's about you and it's about that and the other thing, but nothing about Jesus. So we understand that the Holy Spirit is poured out and that there's a special task that the Holy Spirit has and that task is to remind his disciples of everything that Jesus Christ has taught. And so the apostles now, watch this, the apostles now are the new authority. Did you get this? In the Old Testament, who, were the, who was the authority? The prophet. In the New Testament, it is the apostles. It was the prophets in the Old Testament. It is the apostles in the New Testament that put their stamp of approval on every one of these books in the New Testament. I haven't got time to get into that, but again, I would love to maybe do a doctrines class so we can dive in and it's thrilling. The prophets gave their stamp of approval on Old Testament scripture. The apostles gave their stamp of approval on New Testament scripture. And by the way, the apostle Paul is an apostle, even though he's not one of the original 12. Paul says about himself, I, I became apostle, I became a Christian as somebody who was born very strange, very weird. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But make no doubt about it, he was indeed an apostle. In fact, it says that in Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And then we see, in fact, uh, that that's exactly what he does. He writes the scripture. Now, here, here's something. I, is anybody here on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn and also on Facebook. And every now and again, I get somebody who wants to be my friend or wants to join my network of contacts. And it's uh, Apostle Solomon from Nigeria and this apostle from this place. When you hear somebody call himself an apostle, run for your life. And there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of people that suddenly believe they're apostles. This I want you to know that there were 12 apostles one was a dud, right? But that's the end of it. There's no more apostles. That's it. Do you see this? This apostolic authority is what has established the scriptures as we know it. And so based on this, Paul says that the scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. It comes from God. That word in your Bible might say inspired, and here we say God breathed or breathed by God. That, that work is theopnevma, which, which literally means God breath or God wind. And if you know who the, the name of the Holy Spirit, agiapnevma, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Breath of God. This is, this is who is speaking, and he's speaking now to us through Christ and through those that he appointed. 
Are we getting this so far? Now we know what the Holy Scripture is. It comes from God through the prophets and now through the apostles who were with Jesus day and night throughout the course of his ministry. And so here's what we have. We have the, we have the New Testament canon. You see the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we see Acts. How many know that Acts uh, actually are the Acts, not of the apostles, but the Acts of Jesus Christ through the apostles. And then we see all of these epistles from Romans right down to Jude. And what is that all about? It, it's basically a commentary on the life and the teaching of Christ. It helps us understand it. It brings it to life. It informs us on how we ought to live. And then we have Revelation. And again, some people call Revelation the Revelation of John, but it's not the Revelation of John. John was the one who received the revelation. It is, in fact, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the Bible starts in Genesis, and it ends at Revelation. Anybody that believes that we should be able to add to this book, add the Apocrypha to it, they don't know what you're talking about. It's nonsense. And I could read to you passages from the Apocrypha that would make you laugh because it's utterly ridiculous. You read it and you think to yourself, this doesn't have the ring of truth about it. Now, can I just remind everybody of something? God speaks to us by his spirit and through his word. He gives us understanding. I'm going to talk about more of that in just a few moments. But I want you to see that it ends in Revelation. So I don't know if there's anybody here who's a Mormon or from a Mormon background or wondered, well, what about the Mormon Bible? The Mormon Bible is something relatively new. It's just in the last few hundred years. There's no way that this is a Bible. There's no way that this is Holy Scripture. For one thing, full of errors, full of inconsistencies, so many things that don't make sense, and nothing that can be substantiated by history or by archaeology. But that's not even the most important thing. The most important thing is that nothing in the Book of Mormon has the stamp of approval of the apostles. You getting this? Now, I want you to have total confidence in Scripture. Dan Brown would have us believe that the Scriptures were not, were not compiled until 320, uh, 325 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea. This is, again, it's an absolute, utter nonsense. He, he must have known because anybody who's worth their salt as a historian would know that that is simply uh, not telling the full truth. Well, it may be true that, that the Scripture was officially recognized. It was 367 A.D. that Athanasius who is the bishop of Alexandria in Egypt, he's the one that actually lists these books as we see them here. But here's what you need to know. If you read the anti-Nicene fathers, that is the, all the fathers that came before the Council of Nicaea, every one of them is quoting every book of the New Testament. Did you know that? And not one of them is quoting from the Apocrypha. And this goes back to immediately after the Revelation is written in uh, approximately 90 AD. So the Christians from those early days are reading these books of the Bible, of the New Testament, as we know them today. Nothing's changed. So I want you to be confident and sure that your Bible is solid and it's rock truth. And I'm going to tell you that it has stood the test of time and... We can believe whatever the Bible tells us. Now, 
Let me just quickly then review with you the second half of this verse this morning. We said that all Scripture is breathed out by God. We recognize that the Scripture is a, as the authoritative Word of God. It comes from God Himself. And it's profitable for teaching in, in your King James Bible, it may say uh, for doctrine. Uh, either one is right. Doctrine, teaching, it means the same thing. But it actually tells us what we believe. Now, folks, this is why it is critical that you are reading your Bible on a regular basis so that you can catch Pastor Allen if he doesn't tell you the truth. Some people just sit there and they listen to whatever. And Paul actually noticed that. And, and he commented when he found a group of people that were actually checking to see if what Paul was saying was, was that, was that in the, is, that what, is, it, is it in there? Is it in the book? That's why I'm telling you, bring your Bibles to church. Find out whether I'm telling you the truth or not. And those, those people were called the noble Bereans because they were checking everything that Paul was saying. Paul was thrilled by that. He wasn't intimidated by that. He wasn't threatened by that. Bring it on. Check it out. See if what I'm telling you is the truth or not. You're going to find out. It's rock solid. You can build your life on this. Some say, oh, the Bible is far too difficult to understand. Has anybody ever heard that? Oh, you can't read that. In fact, that was the position of the Roman Catholic Church for centuries. Well, you can't read the Bible. It's far too difficult for you to understand. Well, if that's the case, then I'm telling you, I was a child genius because I was reading the Bible at 10 years old, and I sure knew what it meant. Thou shalt not lie. Oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? God told, uh, told the people of Israel, Mom and Dad, you make sure you're studying the Scripture with your kids. It's not too difficult for them to understand. Get in there and study the Scripture with them. Do you want to know something which is so cool? This is, this is again, the Reformation. And Martin Luther, once he understood the power of the Word of God to teach the doctrines to the people... He translated the Bible into German. Now, what do you think would be more interesting to the people of Germany? That there's a whole new world discovered just across the ocean. Christopher Columbus, remember that? Would that be more exciting than hearing the Bible read in your own language? Well, let me just tell you, quite frankly, the history, the history books tell us that people, oh, that's interesting to hear that there's a, part of the world that has never been discovered before. That's very interesting, but, you know, it's just like, what are you having for supper tonight? Nobody really, nobody really cared that much. But when they heard that for the first time in the history of the Germanic people, that the Scripture would be read in their language, it said, the, the history books tell us that churches were packed out across Germany because everybody wanted to hear the Bible in their own language. They'd only ever heard it in Latin. How thrilling it was and how thrilling it is for you and I to have a Bible in a language that we understand. This is called the perspicuity of, of Scripture, the doctrine of the perspicuity. Can you, can you say that, perspicuity? The, pers the, gospel, the doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture. It's just a fancy way of saying that the Bible is very clear. Anybody can understand. And there's parts that are mysterious, hard for us to understand, but I'm going to tell you, they can be understood. Just sit and meditate on it, and it'll, it'll come to life for you. Now, there's some who say, you know, none of this makes sense to me. Well, look it. Let me just tell you why. 
for some people, the Bible just doesn't click, doesn't make sense. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. If you are a born-again Christian today, then the Spirit of God will make the Scripture come to life for you. You'll have no problem understanding it. Even a a five-year-old can understand it. We all can understand that. But I'm going to tell you that it's the Spirit of God that opens our eyes and our ears. Now, listen to me. If there are any here today who up to this point have said, I read the Scripture and it doesn't really click, doesn't really make sense, I'm going to ask you today, when you're done here, Go get alone with God and say, God, Pastor Allen said, (laughs) you just tell God what I said. Pastor Allen said that the Spirit is the one that opens my understanding to the Scripture. God, would you open my mind so that I can see, so that I can see the truth, so that I can understand it. And I'm telling you that the Lord will do that for you. He'll help you to understand. He'll help you to know. It goes on to say that it's useful or profitable for reproof, Again, reproof means to expose us and to convict us of sin. You know, uh, when you read a passage, a passage of Scripture, you need to ask God to expose the sin in your heart and not the sin in somebody else's heart. How many people read the Bible? Oh, I've got to send that. Oh, I've got to send that to Ryan. This would be just perfect for Ryan. Oh, and Pastor Andrew, boy, I'm sure he hasn't ever read that verse before. I've got to make sure I get that to him. And Bill Ditchfield, I don't know where he's been. He's missed this whole chapter. I've got to send that to him. And then Pastor Joel, he just went through Bible college, and he still doesn't get this. This is, this is what we do. It's for you. You pray and ask God, God, show me. Show me what I need to know. Expose my sin. Correct me, Lord. I, I want to be convicted of my sin. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Folks, this is why we need the scripture because this is the condition of every human heart starting with Alan Duncalf. I need the scripture to expose my heart so that I can see the truth. Folks, this is how this is how we had residential schools in the name of Jesus. It's horrifying. It's repugnant to me that this could be done in the name of Jesus in the name of the church. But I'm going to tell you right now that if if these leaders, so-called leaders of the church, would have their hearts exposed to Scripture, that kind of horror would never have happened. You cannot tell me that not one of those men who committed those atrocities was a follower of Jesus Christ. Impossible. It goes on to say that the Scripture corrects us. It reveals what's wrong in our life. It reveals to us what's right in our lives. It corrects us. It shows us what is error, what is heresy, and what is not. This is how we know that Mormonism is, is not is not Christian. How many know that? I was so shocked. In, in 20, back in, when Mitt Romney was running for president, suddenly uh, Billy Graham's son, what's his name? Uh, Franklin Graham is all of a sudden declaring that, that the Mormons are Christians. And I even, heard, I even heard Joel Osteen say that, and others have said that. Why? Because they want to get their man in the White House. 
We don't compromise the truth for political reasons or for any reason. Mormonism is not of God. It's, it goes against Scripture. J.W., Jehovah's Witness, is the same thing. If you, know the, if you know the Scripture, it will correct you. No wonder they had to go in and come up with their own translation of the Scripture so that they could say, well, here's what the Bible says. Yeah, but no, that's not what the Bible says. You've twisted Scripture. And, there, and every other heresy. I mean, and, you know, I've been in the ministry 40, for 40 years. I cannot tell you the number of heresies that I have spoken against over the past 40 years. And now we're seeing a whole new movement of, of heresy, the social, uh, social gospel movement, and, and this idea of progressive Christianity, and this idea of critical race theory, and on and on and on. This is nothing new, people. When I was in Bible school in the early 80s, I did a paper on, on, on uh, liberation theology. It's the same stuff. It's just repackaged, renamed, and, and put out there again. And, and you see stupid Christians who don't know the Scripture and don't allow the Scripture to correct them or to train them in righteousness spewing this nonsense from their pulpits. We are a gospel church that presents Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the standard on which we live. This is the rock on which we stand, and we will not do anything else. This is what Martin Luther said before the council from, from Rome. This is where I stand. I can do no other. I'm not budging on this. Put me to death. Kill me. Burn me. Flame me. Do whatever you want. This is the word of God. And me saying it's not the word of God changes nothing. It changes nothing. And, of course, it trains us in righteousness. Actually, that word in Greek is discipline. I love that word discipline. Because, folks, this is what you and I are called to do, is to be disciplined in the things of God, to, to take seriously this call of conforming to the righteousness of Christ. Where, whereas we, we received his righteousness when we put our faith in Christ, still we are called to imitate Christ and to walk in his righteousness. Do you need any other explanation regarding that? Let me just say this to you. In reviewing the canons of the Old Testament and the New Testament scripture, what I wanted for you is I wanted you to see that our Bible is indeed the authoritative word of God. This is called the doctrine of the authority of scripture. You need to know, this is so important that you get this because here's your takeaway this morning. You need to know that your Bible is inerrant it is without error. You need to know that your Bible is sufficient. It has everything you need in this book. You don't need this plus the Pope to tell you what to do. You don't need this book plus Pastor Allen to tell you what to do. You've got the Word of God. When you come to church on Sunday, what's Allen doing? Allen is proclaiming the Word of God. You're hearing God's Word, but I'm not the one that, that determines what you should or shouldn't do. It's the Word of God that does that. That's why you come here on Sunday, because you don't care what Alan's opinions are. You care what the Scripture says. It's sufficient. It's inerrant. It's clear. And it is authoritative. So the next time someone says to you, oh, the Bible's full of errors. Has anybody ever heard that? Oh, it's full of errors and contradictions. Have you heard that? Next time someone says that to you, say, look, I'm not a Bible professor. I'm not a Bible college professor. Here's my Bible. Show me where these errors and inconsistencies are. Just give them the Bible. 
and I can guarantee you they won't be able to find one. This book has stood the test of time for 2,3500 years, if you include the Old Testament. It is the authoritative word of God. So listen to this. To fail to do what the Bible tells us to do is to fail to do what God tells us to do. This book is not a book of suggestions. This book is a book that reveals God's will, and it's our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to do whatever the book tells us to do, even when it's difficult. Even when the culture says, oh, you shouldn't believe that, you need to believe something else now, you know your Bible's got to catch up with the times. Thank God that we don't believe that here in this church. Thank God that we believe that this book has stood the test of time. You know, let me just close with this. There are times, my friends, when I'm tempted, tempted to not believe and ask myself the question, is it a sham is it, is it real? Is this whole thing just a construct of human beings? Or is it real? And all I have to do, just, just listen to me, don't move. All I have to do is think of the word of God, the greatest miracle that humanity has ever seen, ever known. And instantly my doubts vanish because I realize, oh yeah, Oh, yeah. This book got here by God himself, and it's rock solid. Listen, in January, we're going to begin a brand new run on reading through the Scripture. You can start right now if you want to get a head start. Not this moment, but (laughs) you can start reading. We're going to go through it again. And I'm going to be talking to Pastor Andrew, Pastor Joel, Pastor Chris, talking about some of the things that we want to do in this church to once again elevate the position of Scripture in our hearts and minds. Sometimes pastors forget that people forget. And, and we're going to go hard at it. And we're going to have fun. And we're going, to be, we're going to be refreshed and renewed. Wherever there is revival, there is a fresh love for the Word of God. How many want to see a revival in our church? in our land, in our country. It's going to come through the word of God. Start reading the scripture with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, but make it number one. And this is why I'm asking you, please bring your Bible to church. Bring a pencil, bring a ruler, bring a pen. But bring a Bible. Don't, don't, get off your phone. Get, get off the technology. Let's, 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 let's start interacting with this book so that we love this book. We love it. Father, thank you for your presence at work in our hearts this morning. Father, we thank you that your spirit has revealed the truth to us. When we read this book, we know this book is not like any other book. It's not like, and it's not like the great literature that was written. It's not Shakespeare. It's, it's an altogether a different category we, we read it and we know we are hearing the voice of God. And everybody today who's put their faith in Christ has had and knows that experience. Yes, I'm hearing from God. So God, we pray, speak to us and put within us, first of all, a fresh love for Scripture, but also God, put within us the fear of God. 
that we would do what you say. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go read your Bible.